Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Our Connected World, a podcast brought to you by TE Connectivity. I'm your host, Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining us here for another episode of the show. Now, today's episode is titled The Electrification of Everything, and it dives into a blog post uh, from our guest uh, that is posted on TE.com for further reading. But we're going to talk about uh, the trend of electrification and uh, and dive a little bit more in depth into this topic today with Davey Brown, CTO and VP of Industrial solutions at TE Connectivity. Davey, welcome. Thank you, Tyler. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Thrilled to have you on the show today. And so uh, in that article on TE.com, Davey, that I mentioned before, you discuss how the commercialization of electric alternatives can help combat climate change and reduce carbon emissions. Uh, What do you see are the crucial opportunities for achieving these goals? Yeah, Tyler, there's a significant number of them. And uh, I touched upon a few of them in the post. So those that spring to mind, uh, electrified vehicles or EVs, cars, um, commercial transport, uh, agriculture machinery, trains, aircraft systems, industrial automation. Uh, so a lot of those that we're already familiar with and also some new critical opportunities and exciting new areas like EV toll or flying taxis. So a pretty wide range um, mm-hmm. and that, uh, that, that range will continue to grow. Absolutely. So what are maybe some of the other technologies typically not part of the electrification conversation um, that that have a high potential for large scale adoption in conjunction with this electrification that we're seeing? Yeah, there's one that springs to mind, and um, that's autonomy. Um, So think about that in the context of things like self-driving capability in cars. Um, There's really no reason why autonomy is not possible in a petrol or a gas powered vehicle as it would be in in an EV or electric car. But the shift to electric vehicles and the electrification of um, cars is probably the largest wholesale overhaul we've seen in the architecture of a car for what well over 100 years. And that transition and that transformation is creating um, additional space for new systems and vehicles to support all the sensors and processing that's required for autonomous operation. But Mm. if I take it away from, from cars for a moment, autonomy starts to impact other applications which are being electrified. Um, A good example would be AGVs or automated guided vehicles. Um, Think about these as as mobile robots which are used for moving material around a factory. Um, AGVs themselves are actually not particularly new. They've been around for over 50 years. And until recently, they relied on fairly rudimentary technology like following a line painted on the floor or perhaps some magnetic tape on the floor of a factory to guide them to their destination. But if we look at the current generation of AGVs, Autonomous operation allows them to sense the environment around them. So it makes them really fast to deploy. Um, It allows them to deal with situations like obstructions in their pathway. um, And it also improves their safety by them allowing them to sense their environment, particularly when they're close to other human operators in a factory. So again, that's an example of something that doesn't need to be tied to electrification, but I do see these two um, technologies maturing at similar rates. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. And they, they seem to dovetail quite a bit in in the minds of people, maybe because of uh, some of the brands that have uh, maybe pioneered a little bit more of this technology, seemingly simultaneously. But in your mind, what, what factors are preventing broader adoption and advancements happening at scale when it comes to electrification? Yeah, that's um, certainly a few spring to mind. And I think, first of all, there are some significant advancements that have got us to where we are, but there certainly are um, a number of, of challenges that really need to be overcome to continue to drive the, uh, the adoption. I think the first one that springs to mind would be charging infrastructure, and I'll 
probably the second one would be battery technology, but let me tackle those in order. Um, you know, charging infrastructure goes hand in hand as we think about electrification. Many of the things that we just uh, talked about there are battery powered, and therefore they require some sort of charging infrastructure. Um, whether it's a AGV in a factory like I just talked about, a car, commercial transport, they all still require the ability to, to be charged uh, between operations. And um, when I think about the, the most commonplace electrification we come across today with EVs, the phrase range anxiety is almost synonymous when we talk about electric cars today. Um, and I'm starting to hear an, another phrase um, increasingly used, and that's charge anxiety. Um, so not only is there the concern as you're plotting your course in your electric car between um, charging stations, but when you get there, are the chargers all in use? Are they incompatible with your car? Um, or, or is it um, or are they actually out of service so you can't even use them? You know, increasing that anxiety to how are you going to be able to make it to the next stop or to the next uh, charging station? Um, there are other challenges, by the way. I think the cost, to, the cost to charge or the charge to charge is something that we need to think about. Um, we've seen adoption of EVs, certainly by many early adopters, based on the lower cost to run. But with increasing electricity prices, um, is it always going to be the case that it's cheaper um, than using a, a petrol alternative? So uh, certainly some challenges there around the charging infrastructure for electric vehicles. Uh, if I take that charging infrastructure into other applications, though, the, the challenge is, is still very real. Um, let me go back into the factory for a minute. So thinking about factory equipment, uh, again, consider an AGV or, or a mobile robot. Um, they, in, in that environment, downtime is a real problem. Um, so fast, reliable charging is, is essential to operation. So new approaches like uh, maybe a little and often approach um, where the batteries are regularly topped up and regular operation is likely to be adopted. And, and if you think at larger applications, think about battery powered trains. So that's a trend that we're starting to see. Um, commercial transportation, buses, lorries, trucks, um, or aircraft. If you think about those large applications, um, you need entirely new infrastructure to support the sort of fast charging that's required for these, uh, these type of applications to become operational. Um, interestingly, for, for eVTOLs, which is probably one of the applications I'm most excited about, we're now seeing the first dedicated ground infrastructure being, being built to support them, um, so-called VertiPorts. Uh, so these are, uh, these are our locations with uh, clear access to the skies, but these VertiPorts, as they pop up, will require new, very high capacity connections to the electricity grid to support the sort of power requirements to rapidly recharge an eVTOL. And th the second one I'd like to talk about is battery capacity and weight. If, if I compare lithium ion battery technology, which is commonplace today, to petrol, um, petrol is an energy density of somewhere between 50 and 100 times higher than, than lithium ion. Now, we are seeing new battery chemistries like lithium sulfur, zinc ion, aluminium air, all of these are actually environmentally less uh, harmful, but they also have improved energy density. So we are improving that density, but we're still a long, long way to close that energy density gap that we see with oil-based fuels. And hmm. um, so that will continue to be a challenge as we look at um, a number of uh, these uh, potential applications that are moving to moving away from petrol to uh, electric propulsion. 
You, you mentioned that density aspect. What, what are the design considerations that engineers must resolve when electrifying technologies that are conventionally powered by fossil fuels? Specifically, what do you think engineers need to do differently when developing architectures that must transfer all of this power from an electric source into core systems? Yes. Um, so this energy density is obviously a significant challenge. And when you think about Again, 50 to 100 times less energy dense. You can see that if you're trying to create similar performance, um, it, it creates a very, very heavy piece of infrastructure. So one of the most important things that we can do is to look at where else in a system we can save weight. So if you look at the, the design of electrified systems today, there is a lot of focus on reducing size, weight, and power um, mm -hmm. of the components. Now, size, weight, and power will be familiar to, to many listeners. That's a phrase that we've used in the aviation industry for many, many years. And it's been a major design consideration in aircraft since the Wright brothers uh, first took to the air. But that consideration, size, weight, and power is rolling down into many, many other electrified applications to reduce that weight, to improve the efficiency, and to improve the runtime or the range. You know, a second one closely associated here is around safety. And um, to improve the efficiency of electrified systems, We've seen the, the voltage increasing almost year over year. Um, current EVs and aircraft are, are typically around about 100 volts, um, but to improve efficiency, we see this growing rapidly to 1,000 volts and beyond. And, and of course, with this comes increased safety concerns. So system designers require components in their systems that can handle these new power requirements, regardless of where the system's going to be deployed, if it's on the ground, um, in the air, or on the water. Those are some excellent, excellent points. And what I'm curious, what role TE is playing in, in maybe helping these engineers, you know, kind of resolve these challenges like you described? Yeah, um, a lot, actually. So I would say that um, we are we're investing a lot of our development time and our development focus on novel new materials that will um, both reduce the weight uh, of products and also improve the electrical performance of high voltage systems. Um, in, in addition to advancing material science. We're also producing new high performance versions of key system components like relays and contactors. And these are electromechanical systems that are really critical to the, the operation, to the performance and to the safety um, of an electrified system. So when you think about you know, what TE is doing, what, what differentiates TE's approach to partnering with OEMs on these customized solutions for electrification versus maybe what you're seeing from other competitors or other participants in the market? Yeah, you know, at, at TE, I've always noticed that we do something a little bit different, and that is a really key part of the value that we create with our customers is that engineer-to-engineer relationship. So our mm -hmm regularly co-innovate, co-design with our customers to create solutions that solve their toughest problems. Something that we're continuing to grow within our organization is more system architecture capability. Um, and that will allow us to continue to work closely with our customers to help them define things like their overall power distribution. Um, and from there, bring that information back into our organization to work with our advanced development teams to help develop solutions for future generations of electrified systems. 
So, Davey, how can TE solutions for electrifying technology help OEMs address market expectations for this sustainable performance that also meets, you know, both safety and reliability requirements, right? We, we talked a little bit about that safety aspect a moment ago, but I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more in depth about those things. Yeah, cer- certainly. And, and I guess, you know, you, t- you just touched upon a couple of things there with safety and reliability. And, and safety and reliability are, are key requirements that have been placed on our products Forever, and it's something that our customers have really come to trust us for. So when I think about that, safety and reliability has always been a key consideration in the design of our products. But you know, the other one you mentioned was sustainability, and sustainability is joining those two very well-established core requirements as a new core requirement. And um, this has been a, a real focus for our engineers over the last number of years, where in addition to improving the performance of the materials we use and the products we produce. We're also looking at how we can reduce the environmental impact of our products. And we have initiatives running across the organization, everything from uh, looking at how we can reduce the amount of material that we use in our products through to advanced research activity, developing bio-based alternative materials, which have got lower environmental impact. So that, that third requirement of sustainability um, has really accelerated importance over the last couple of years. And um, we expect to see that continue to grow as our customers demand more sustainable products and their solutions. Absolutely. And, and you know, there's there's so much conversation also around the ability to generate uh, enough electricity to meet this demand. So what's being done today and what still needs to be discussed for sustainably generating the power needed to run commercial, industrial and consumer machinery in a, in a more electric powered world? Yeah, and of course, as we talk about in electric powered worlds, we can we can see the improved sustainability. That's that's very obvious to the end user of electrified equipment. But of course, we do need to think about um, where that electricity is sourced from. And the one thing that's clear in a more and more electrified world is that we're going to require more and more electric to power an increased uh, range of devices. And how we generate and distribute electricity globally is changing. Um, most countries, if not all countries around the world, are increasing the percentage of electricity that comes from renewable sources, um, thereby reducing dependence on um, coal, oil, gas, etc. Um, and and this, is, this is possible. I mean, a great example is Norway. Norway, Norway led the world for, for many years and still continues to lead the world with the adoption of renewable energy sources. And I, I believe they're somewhere over 98% of the electricity in Norway today comes from renewable sources, but, but few countries are anywhere near this level. So as we look at this transition to renewable energy, um, our teams are supporting uh, our customers globally as they build out completely new infrastructure supporting um, wind, solar, and other renewable generation sources. A a second consideration is this transition to renewables, of course, requires other changes to to the grid infrastructure. Um, Mm -hmm. The first thing is that the unpredictable generation characteristics of most renewable energy sources mean that we need to store energy somewhere in the network. Of course, we only generate solar when during the day when the sun's shining, we only generate wind-based when there's wind, etc. So this requirement for storage is really something new and something that utilities need to embrace. I think a second consideration here is that with more homes and businesses generating electricity locally, the grid is is changing from a, a very unidirectional flow, which traditionally was the utility provides power to the consumer, um, to a more bi-directional flow. So with spare power often being sold back to the utility. Um, this change 
is actually very large for the utilities and it requires the grid utilities to monitor their infrastructure to understand the network load across their grid and it really this is really seeing this huge change from our electricity grids which for over 100 years have been passive um, into a smart infrastructure today so what engineering limitations and economic factors might affect how OEMs approach innovation and electrification over the next, let's say, five years or so? Yeah. Um, the, the biggest limitation that I see is around talent. And, you know, we've just talked about a range of completely new applications using new power levels with new safety requirements, new architectures new materials, um, so a lot is changing to support this electrification. And, and as I look at that, the skills that many engineers globally today have are just not what's required to design the systems of the future. So as I think about that, universities, employers, and individuals, we all need to invest in developing the required capabilities and skills to respond to these evolving technical needs. Absolutely, and then um, last couple of questions here. What, Let's maybe cast our eye to the future even a little bit more, but we, we talked about where we are kind of in the, the adoption of this electrification of everything. What, what might the next phase of electrification maturity look like in your mind? Yeah, you know, I, I, I got a view on this one and um, look, the trend is well underway. We're, we're starting to see electricity to dis displacing traditional energy sources everywhere and really faster than I expected to see everything from most times you go out in your car today on a journey, you see an electric vehicle. So, you know, that's changed dramatically over five years. Um, I had to buy a new chainsaw a couple of months ago. I bought an electric chainsaw. I mean, we're seeing this, this electrification trend is moving really, really quickly. But in many instances, as I think about the electrified versions of an application, it's a compromise. So today, an electric vehicle range is a concern. In factories, we talked about charging time. So it's, it's taking equipment out of commission for periods of time for charging. Um, commercial electric vehicles tend to have less pulling power. Um, electric aircraft can't fly as far or for as long as conventionally powered versions. So, so I think about those compromises. And, and when I think through to maturity, the next phase of maturity, in my view, is when we see those compromises disappear. When we think about the performance, the cost, the reliability of the electrified systems, they will be better than the systems that they're replacing. Um, and by the way, that's going to happen at very different rates. Uh, mm -hmm. We've already seen very, very widespread adoption um, in, across the automotive industry. Um, but to see comparable performance and to see displacement in heavy applications like international air travel will take a lot, lot longer, probably 50 years or more. I think that's a that's a really really good and and uh, intelligent answer. Absolutely, and when you think about those those compromises going away, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, so the, the, the last question here that we'll, we'll wrap up with Davey is just a personal one, I suppose, but this is such an exciting time to be a part of what's going on in this industry. What do you find most thrilling in being a part of the electrification revo uh, evolution? Yeah, <laughs> what I'm thrilled about, well, I'll, I'll tell you what I'm not thrilled about. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of classic British sports cars and I'm very sad to see the demise of the the petrol powered sports car. Um, but what am I thrilled about? Uh, some of these new applications are very exciting. Um, I'm thrilled that in a very small number of years, 
um, I'll be able to take a, a flight on eVTOL, um, and I'm really excited about that becoming real. If I, I guess if I zoom out for a moment and think about us uh, at TE, um, we're really thrilled to be able to continue to collaborate with our customers globally to develop the sort of solutions um, that will power this new electrified and much more sustainable future. Absolutely. It is a, it is a thrilling time, even if we, uh, we might lose the classic British uh, sports cars of the past. But uh, Davey Brown, CTO and VP of Industrial Solutions at TE Connectivity. Davey, thank you so much for joining me today and talking about the electrification of everything, not just um, electric vehicles that we would see on the road, but also trains and uh, industrial equipment and all of the different things that, uh, that we'll see coming down the pipeline. It's, uh, it's really exciting to see, and I appreciate you taking some time to talk to us about it today. My pleasure. It was great talking with you, Tyler. Thank you. Absolutely. Pleasure. Uh, pleasure was mine as well. And everyone out there, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Our Connected World, a podcast brought to you by TE Connectivity. For more, visit te.com where you can find Davey's uh, article that he wrote about this very topic. Uh, if you'd like to read more there, if you'd like to reach out, get in touch with people at TE Connectivity, at, um, ask questions, learn more, uh, dive in a little bit more deeply into these topics you can do all of that on te.com and of course you can subscribe to the podcast where we've talked about a lot of these topics uh in in varying depths across many different episodes of the show so you want to go back and check out some of those previous episodes as well and stay tuned for upcoming episodes you can do that by uh, subscribing to the podcast right there on apple Podcasts, spotify google wherever you get your podcast these days you can find te connectivity so make sure to go subscribe and stay up to date with the latest but for this episode for davy brown i'm tyler kern we'll talk to you next time